0: Section twenty one of the coming race. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox dot org. Reading by Mary Roadie The Coming Race by Edward George Bulwer Lytton. Chapter twenty nine. In the midst of those hours set apart for sleep and constituting the night of the Vrililla, I was awakened from the disturbed slumber into which i had not long fallen by a hand on my shoulder i started and beheld Ze standing beside me hush she said in a whisper let no one hear us dost thou think that i have ceased to watch over thy safety because i could not win thy love i have seen Tai. he has not prevailed with his father who had meanwhile conferred with the three sages who in doubtful matters he takes into counsel and by their advice he has ordained thee to perish when the world reawakens to life i will save thee rise and dress Zee pointed to a table by the couch on which i saw the clothes i had worn on quitting the upper world and which i had exchanged subsequently for the more picturesque garments of the vril ya the young gi then moved towards the casement and stepped into the balcony, while hastily and wonderingly I donned my own habiliments. When I joined her on the balcony, her face was pale and rigid. Taking me by the hand, she said softly, "'See how brightly the art of the Vrelia has lighted up the world in which they dwell. Tomorrow the world will be dark for me.' She drew me back into the room, without waiting for my answer, thence into the corridor, from which we descended into the hall. We passed into the deserted streets, and along the broad upward road which wound beneath the rocks. Here, where there is neither day nor night, the silent hours are unutterably solemn. The vast space illumined by mortal skill "'is so wholly without the sight and stir of mortal life. "'Soft as were our footsteps, their sounds vexed the ear "'as out of harmony with the universal repose. "'I was aware in my own mind, though Zee said it not, "'that she had decided to assist my return to the upper world, "'and that we were bound towards the place from which I had descended.' her silence infected me and commanded mine and now we approached the chasm it had been reopened not presenting indeed the same aspect as when i had emerged from it but through that closed wall of rock before which i had last stood with tai a new cliff had been riven and along its blackened sides still glimmered sparks and smoldered embers My upward gaze could not, however, penetrate more than a few feet into the darkness of the hollow void, and I stood dismayed, and wondering how that grim ascent was to be made. Zee divined my doubt. Fear not, said she with a faint smile. Your return is assured. I began this work when the silent hours commenced, and all else were asleep believe that I did not pause till the path back into thy world was clear. I shall be with thee a little while yet. We do not part until thou sayest, Go, for I need thee no more. My heart smote me with remorse at these words. Ah! I exclaimed, I would that thou wert of my race, or I of thine. Then I should never say, I need thee no more. I bless thee for those words, and I shall remember them when thou art gone, answered the gi tenderly. During this brief interchange of words, Z had turned away from me, her form bent and her head bowed over her breast. Now she rose to the full height of her grand stature and stood fronting me. While she had been thus averting my gaze, she had lighted up the circlet that she wore round her brow so that it blazed as if it were a crown of stars not only her face and her form but the atmosphere around were illumined by the effulgence of the diadem now said she put thine arm around me for the first and last time nay thus courage and cling firm as she spoke her form dilated the vast wings expanded Clinging to her, I was borne aloft through the terrible chasm. The starry light from her forehead shot around and before us through the darkness. Brightly and steadfastly, and swiftly as an angel may soar heavenward with the soul it rescues from the grave, went the flight of the gee, till I heard in the distance the hum of human voices, the sounds of human toil, we halted on the flooring of one of the galleries of the mine and beyond in the vista burnt the dim feeble lamps of the miners then i released my hold the gee kissed me on my forehead passionately but as with a mother's passion and said as the tears gushed from her eyes farewell forever thou wilt not let me go into thy world thou canst never return to mine Ere our household shake off slumber, the rocks will have again closed over the chasm, not to be reopened by me, nor perhaps by others, for ages yet unguessed. Think of me sometimes, and with kindness. When I reach the life that lies beyond this speck in time, I shall look round for thee. Even there the world consigned to thyself and thy people may have rocks and gulfs which divide it from that in which I rejoin those of my race that have gone before, and I may be powerless to cleave way to regain thee, as I have cloven way to lose. Her voice ceased. I heard the swan-like sough of her wings, and saw the rays of her starry diadem receding far and farther through the gloom, I sat myself down for some time, musing sorrowfully. Then I rose and took my way with slow footsteps toward the place in which I heard the sounds of men. The miners I encountered were strange to me, of another nation than my own. They turned to look at me with some surprise, but finding that I could not answer their brief questions in their own language, they returned to their work and suffered me to pass on unmolested. In fine I regained the mouth of the mine, little troubled by other interrogatories, save those of a friendly official to whom I was known, and luckily he was too busy to talk much with me. I took care not to return to my former lodgings, but hastened that very day to quit a neighbourhood where I could not long have escaped inquiries to which I could have given no satisfactory answers. I regained in safety my own country, in which I have been long peacefully settled and engaged in practical business, till I retired on a competent fortune three years ago. I have been little invited and little tempted to talk of the rovings and adventures of my youth. Somewhat disappointed, as most men are, in matters connected with household love and domestic life, I often think of the young Gee as I sit alone at night, and wonder how I could have rejected such a love, no matter what dangers attended it or by what conditions it was restricted only the more i think of a people calmly developing in regions excluded from our sight and deemed uninhabitable by our sages powers surpassing our most disciplined modes of force and virtues to which our life social and political becomes antagonistic in proportion as our civilization advances the more devoutly i pray that ages may yet elapse before there emerge into sunlight our inevitable destroyers. Being, however, frankly told by my physician that I am afflicted by a complaint which, though it gives little pain and no perceptible notice of its encroachments, may at any moment be fatal, I have thought it my duty to my fellow-men to place on record these forewarnings of the coming race. End of chapter 29 And End of the Coming Race By Edward George Bulwer Lytton